This morning from the prophet Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on the light has, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. This is the word of God for the people of God. So last weekend in many churches and other venues across our city and across our nation, people were celebrating the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We think of him as civil rights activist, but of course, primarily he felt called to be a preacher. He was the pastor of a church. When I was reading different commentators talking about this particular passage, one of them wanted to tie this passage to Dr. King's work, and moreover, to tie it to the inauguration of our first ever African-American president, January 20, 2009, more than 10 years ago. This is what she wrote. On that day... Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream of 1963 came to life in a remarkable and unique way. While former times had seen the anguish and oppression of a people wrongly discriminated against, on that day a new light shone forth, bringing joy and the hope of prosperity to the nation. Such a momentous turning point would not have been possible without the tireless leadership of King and those who followed in his footsteps. She suggests that the nation was celebrating when Barack Obama was inaugurated. And surely many were. But it was also clear that not everyone was celebrating. The same was clear when the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was doing his work. Polls at the time of his death showed that some 75% of white Americans disagreed with what he was doing. And over half of African Americans disagreed with what Dr. King was preaching and professing and marching for. It was a volatile time. Isaiah writes in a similar time where his people are divided in a sense. It is a volatile time in terms of who's going to lead and what direction they're going to go as a people. The times in which we live seem to always be the most poignant, yet for Isaiah, things are coming apart. Politics in his day were deadly. Part of Isaiah is being written when the longtime king has died. His successor is his son. He lasts for six months before he's assassinated. Another king comes to power. He lasts one month before he is killed. 
foreign nations are coming and attacking and are ready to take over and be rulers of the Israelite people. We are divided and polarized in our nation. But President Obama was not assassinated, as some had predicted. There was a peaceful transfer of power. Even today, we strive to be a people and a nation ruled by law rather than tyrants or military coups or assassinations or one group or another taking over by force. Isaiah understands turbulent times. He understands the ups and downs, the vicissitudes of life. He understands that sometime what you're hoping to happen and what you believe God wants to happen really does happen. And at other times, not so much. Sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. Isaiah understands that, oh, so very well. But he offers us this insight. Isaiah declares that God transcends any and all of this. In verse 2, 3, and 4 of what we read today, Isaiah said that God is offering us light even in the midst of turmoil, that He's offering us joy even in the midst of chaos, that He's offering us freedom even if we're experiencing burdens or oppression. Reminded me of what's called the Stockdale Paradox. I know some of you read the best-selling book by Jim Collins, Good to Great. One of my favorite books over the last couple of decades. In part of the book, he has a chapter called Confront the Brutal Facts. Confront the Brutal Facts. And in that chapter, he's writing about Admiral Jim Stockdale. Now, this is all in a backdrop where he's writing about what makes the difference for companies to move from good to great. How do people persevere over time? But he uses Stockdale, who was a prisoner of war during the Vietnam conflict. He was a prisoner of war for eight years. He was the highest ranking person of the U.S. military in this particular prisoner of war camp as an admiral. So he was kind of in charge of all the people that were captives during that conflict at that particular place. Collins was wondering, how do you survive eight years of deprivation and torture, never knowing what's going to happen tomorrow, never knowing when you might, if ever, be released, never knowing if you're going to die in this place without ever seeing your family and friends again. So Collins got to meet Stockdale. By then, Stockdale's a professor at Stanford. They're walking across that beautiful campus, and Stockdale is going to tell Collins about this over lunch. But while they're walking, Jim Collins said, I've just been wondering. I read your book. I was depressed just reading about it, and I know how it ends. I know you got released, but I don't understand how you all survived. How did, it, how did some make it and others not? 
What happened to those who didn't get out? Who, who were they? And Stockdale said, the ones who had the hardest time were the optimists. And Colin said, the optimist? I don't understand. And he said, listen, when you're in a prisoner of war camp, you're looking forward. But the optimist would say in the fall, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and go, and we're all still there. Then they would say, it's all right, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and go, and we're still there. And then they would pick 4th of July, then Thanksgiving, and all of a sudden we're back to Christmas again. And Stockdale says, they died of a broken heart. And then he had a very long pause as they were walking, Colin says. And then he said he stopped walking and looked right at him and said this, I put it in your outline. Stockdale says this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. That's Isaiah. He's living in a brutal time. He sees the facts. He understands what his people are going through he understands the brutality, and yet he can write in the passage we read this morning of light and joy and freedom. I want to read it to you again. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. He's saying this to God. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. Light, joy, and freedom Isaiah proclaims that is what God is offering us. Light, joy, and freedom despite our circumstances, Isaiah says God can offer us. And Jesus echoes the same sentiment, embodies the same attitude when he's walking the earth, teaching and preaching. Jen read to us out of Matthew's gospel earlier, chapter 4. That's the chapter that starts by Matthew telling us that Jesus is going to the wilderness and that he's spending 40 days without food and water facing temptation. And then when he comes out of the wilderness, he hears that John the Baptist has been arrested. But then he's ready still to start his public ministry. He quotes Isaiah Chapter 9, the part we read this morning, land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. 
And then in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from the time Jesus began to proclaim, from that time Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, which means turn toward God, Jesus says. Even if you're facing dark days, turn toward God. Even if you're feeling like you have too many burdens to carry, turn toward God. Even if you're feeling oppressed, if it seems like chaos and turbulence surrounds you, where should you turn? Turn toward God. That's what Isaiah says. That's what Jesus says. Turn to God. God can make a way even when we can't see a way. God can find a way. Even if we're struggling to find that way, God can lead us through whatever we're facing, whatever the circumstances. Isaiah proclaims God is there and God is at work and God will lead us through. In our core values, we state that we see spiritual growth as a lifelong journey. Now, part of that is suggesting that we all have committed to a lifelong journey as a follower of Christ, but it's more than reminding you of your commitment. It's also an encouragement that there's still time for God to work in our lives. There's still opportunity to grow in love, to grow in grace, that God has more for us in the future than we're experiencing right now. We're trying to remind all of us of this message from Isaiah that's echoed by Jesus. God is not done with us yet. God is still at work in our lives and in our midst. God still has things to create, experiences for us that will lead us into an experience of abundant life, a life full of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, a fullness of life that's promised to us in the Gospels. Isaiah and Jesus are reminding us, even if we're tempted to forget, God is with us. God is still at work. God is not done yet. Don't give up now. Having all the Martin Luther King celebrations last week caused me to begin thinking about all the different things he said and wrote. I heard different people speak during the weekend, quoting different parts of things he said. As I was reading through Isaiah, thinking about all this, it caused me to think of that very last speech. It was actually a sermon that Dr. King gave. He was in Memphis, Tennessee. He had gone there because the sanitation workers were on strike for better wages and, and better working conditions. He had actually become physically ill. He was planning not to go to the church that night where they were having a rally. He was back at the hotel in bed trying to recover. But people came out. It was a stormy night, but still people packed the church where they were meeting. They were singing, and more and more people just kept coming. Finally, his closest associates said, they're not going to leave until they see Dr. King. Someone's got to go get him. So they dispatched a couple of lieutenants, went and rousted him out of bed, said, you've got to get dressed. You have got to do this. The place is packed, standing room only. They're not leaving until you come. So Dr. King got up and got dressed and went back over to the church. And during his sermon, 
He speculated about what it would be like if God had given him a choice to live any time that he wanted to live throughout history. And Dr. King recounts all the high points of biblical history and says, oh, I could have lived here, I could have lived there. He goes all the way through Western civilization and talks about all the great achievements of humankind and how what a wonder it would have been to live in some of those time periods or epochs. But then he says this is what he would say to God. If you allow me to live just a few years in the second half of the 20th century, I will be happy. Then he says, now that's a strange statement to make because the world's all messed up. The nation is sick. Trouble is in the land. Confusion all around. That's a strange statement. But I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. That's Isaiah. Even in the dark times, look for the stars. He is believing that God is at work in our midst. King believed that God was at work in his life and in the struggles which he had been called upon to believe and to lead. Now, he did not deny that there were some dark realities, that there were some problems in our nation. But he also always believed that God was leading them in their struggle for civil rights, and that God was offering them freedom and light and joy and sustenance for the journey. So we can choose to let realities, negative realities, if you will, define us, or we can do what Isaiah suggests and turn toward God. Isaiah challenges the people to rise up for justice to rise up for the poor, to rise up for the marginalized, to rise up for people who need some help. Just like Isaiah did, Jesus challenges us to do the same, to think of others, to love your neighbor, to reach out to those who've been harmed and hurt and might be lying in the ditch bleeding. They are the ones, Jesus says, we can share the love of God. I think God is calling us to rise up just as he did in the times of Jesus and Isaiah. Dr. King, in his speech, talked that night about what it was like to have been stabbed. You may remember early on, he was in New York City as he was becoming more and more well-known and had written a book. He was at a book signing, long lines of people. He's signing as quickly as he can. He hears a voice say, are you Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? And without looking up, he says, yes. And a deranged woman stabbed him very near his heart. And they rushed him to the hospital. And they were able to save his life. But the doctors told him later, if you would have just sneezed, you probably would have bled out and we would not have been able to save you. He said, I'm glad I didn't sneeze. And then he, he ended this way. These are the last words he gave in public. He says, And then I came to Memphis. And some began to say the threats or talk about threats that were out there. What would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers? 
Well, I don't know what will happen now, he says. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will, and He's allowed me to go up on the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. Oh, I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And then Dr. King says, and I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Amen and amen.